today, what we're going to look at and we're going to see is that opposite uh, responses to the gospel uh, are, are present in this text today. It's the same message. The message didn't change, but different responses from different groups of people. And sometimes that makes it kind of hard to evaluate the message that you're giving. And it also makes it hard sometimes to evaluate the messenger. And and if you think about this, think about if this has ever happened to you. you. You share a story. Maybe you're at a family gathering or something. You're sharing a story. Um, or you're at work, or you're, you're giving an opinion, and you get different responses from different people. Same story. You know, you're, everything you're saying is the same. It's just different responses, and it makes it hard sometimes to evaluate your message, to evaluate even yourself as the messenger. And I can tell you that as a pastor who speaks publicly, uh, pretty much weekly, uh, I'm exposed to this kind of thing regularly. And I can tell you that some of the things that I have heard since I've been in ministry after a sermon can sometimes leave you speechless, honestly. Uh, Of course, not from any of you. It's the beauty of this. But I want to, so I thought today, as I was thinking through this introduction, I thought, you know, I'm going to open up with with you today. I'm going to share two of the most memorable post-sermon comments I've ever received um, as an example of different responses. So we did a very specifically themed service um, a while back, and uh, so very, very specific theme in the in this in the whole service: music, readings, and of course, a forty-minute. Uh, and some of you are out there, forty-plus. Come on, Pastor, yeah, forty-plus sermon um, on that same specific theme. And so, the I, I remember just walking off the stage right after you know the closing song, which actually was again reinforcing that theme. And uh, the first thing that someone came up to me and said is, hey, pastor, there's one thing you forgot. And so I remember thinking that whole service had a very specific theme, the songs, again, the readings, the, you know, the, the, the closing song. And the first thing you have to tell me is what I forgot. And, and so let's just say that I replayed that comment in my mind all day because it's kind of hard not to. Um, and I, ho- I only hoped that others had a different response, right? Because that's the first thing I heard. So I hoped that others didn't see it that way, but saw this theme running through. And, and just to add one more thing, what, what the person suggests that I forgot really didn't have anything to do with the theme or the message. So I'm not sure how it was forgotten to begin with. But my all-time most memorable post-sermon comment happened to me while I was actually pastoring in Florida. And a man came up to me after the sermon and he said, Pastor, I just want to say, you have really improved your preaching. (laughs) And I was like, oh. (laughs) It's kind of one of those things where it takes your breath away. You're like, And then he said to me, he said, uh, he had a a follow-up to that. The first sermon I ever heard you preach was the worst sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) True story. True story. And I remember thinking, was that encouragement? Like, 
And so apparently in his mind, I had nowhere to go but up. Um, so I had hoped, obviously, after hearing that, again, I remember thinking, I really hope others had different responses. Maybe they just didn't tell me. They just left and went home. But hopefully they had different responses. And in that case, I hoped that others had opposite responses. And in today's text, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see opposite responses to the message that Paul preached. To some, it really was the worst message they've ever heard. But to others, it was exactly what they needed to hear. It was so well received. And and that's the case for all of us. We're all presented with opportunities like this, especially in our witness. And so I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord to lead us and to lead me so that today's message can be an encouragement to all of you. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for the fact that you can overcome our weaknesses. And even where we fail to mention everything or say everything or do it perfectly and right, that you uh, are a God that can still accomplish your purposes. We thank you that you have chosen to use jars of clay to do that. And Lord, I pray that each of us, as we are all involved in proclaiming your message and being a witness where we work, in our families, among our friends, that we many times will share a message and get very different responses. And sometimes it's hard to evaluate. Many times we focus on the negative. Help us, Lord, even from this text today to just learn what it is that you're calling us to, to be faithful. And so, Lord God, I pray that this word would go forth and accomplish the purposes you have set forth and that you would give all of us ears to hear and open hearts to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, if you remember, we went through Paul's sermon that he gave in the synagogue in great detail. We broke it down, and, uh, and I intentionally left off the response because I knew we'd look at that specifically this week. And so now that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look and we're going to see how the people responded. And so we're picking up here in chapter 13, verse 42. And the first thing that Luke tells us about is the immediate response of the people. So looking at verse 42, he says, As as they went out, so you, you figure now that the, the, the synagogue service is over, the people go out, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after meeting, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So after Paul preached this very powerful sermon in the synagogue, Luke tells us how, again, the people responded. And the first thing he tells us is that the people begged Paul and Barnabas to tell them more next week at the next service. Now that is incredible encouragement for anybody who's giving a a sermon and hears that, you know, I just can't wait till you tell us more next week. And this is what Paul and Barnabas get here. And then after the people left the synagogue, Luke tells us that some of the people started to follow 
Paul and Barnabas around. They, they, were, they, were, they became their followers. They wanted to hear what they had to say, not just in the synagogue, but what were they were going to be saying in the marketplace. They wanted to know more. And some of these new followers were Jews. And Luke is also telling us that some were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. And Paul encourages both groups to continue on in the grace of God. So even as they're following him, he's saying, I'm going to encourage all of you to continue on in the grace of God. And then Luke moves on and tells us about the response of the Jews. So let's look that, at that now, the response of the Jews. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And, and so Luke tells us that almost the whole city came to the synagogue the next week. That's incredible. The word spread. People told other people about how great it was to hear these guys share and, and maybe a message that they'd never heard before. And so they were telling other people and people wanted to hear what these guys had to say. And Luke specifically tells us that they wanted to hear the word of the Lord. So they didn't just want to hear Paul and Barnabas because they liked them. They wanted to hear the word of the Lord. There was something about the way that they were presenting the word that made the people desire the word. That's what they wanted. But something else happened. When the Jews saw the crowds, I mean, can you imagine? These two guys come as guests to the synagogue and the next week the whole city shows up. I mean, if you've been there every week prior to that, you're not, and you're a Jewish leader, you're feeling kind of like, all right, what happened here? So the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy. They burned inside with anger and resentment and jealousy. And notice what made them jealous. What was it? What does Luke tell us? It was the crowds it was the crowds that made them jealous. In other words, it was the popularity of Paul and Barnabas. The, 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 these Jewish leaders were like jealous teenagers. They, they resented Paul and Barnabas simply because their message, because their approach attracted the people. Almost the entire city, in fact. And they resented them for that. So what did they do with the jealousy that they had in their heart? Did they just stew in their jealousy? No, they did more than that. No, their behavior then revealed their jealousy. See, they didn't just, they didn't just stay. That's what happens with things like this. It doesn't just stay in your heart. It comes out. And, and so their behavior revealed their jealousy. They began to intentionally contradict Paul. Basically, what they began to do is plant seeds of dissension among the people. I'll disrupt this myself. And then Luke tells us, they reviled him. That's how the ESV translators translated that word. And the NIV translates that as they heaped abuse on him. 
they heaped abuse on, on Paul. So what these people are doing is they are attacking Paul personally. They're getting nasty about this. This is a, this is a very hateful campaign, if you will, against Paul. They're speaking hateful despicable things about him and they're doing it all to discredit him why why are they doing this because paul was simply preaching the gospel and the lord was blessing his ministry and the people were responding and these jewish leaders were so jealous that they had to stop it so How do Paul and Barnabas, how do do they respond? Let's see, because Luke tells us. Paul and Barnabas respond boldly. They respond boldly. Look at verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, We are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So the first thing that Luke wants us to know is how Paul and Barnabas responded to this kind of evil jealous, resentful attack. How did they respond? Notice they did not respond with fear. They did not respond with worry. They did not respond with uncertainty. They respond, Luke tells us, with boldness. Even before Luke tells us what they said, He tells us how they said it. He gives us their approach, their attitude behind it. Then he tells us what they said. And Paul and Barnabas tell these Jewish persecutors that the word of God was given to them first. To the Jews, he's telling them. This this word that that we're preaching was given first to the Jews, but you, you threw it aside. And you rejected it. So now what we're doing is we're sharing it, the good news with the Gentiles. Paul even says in verse 46, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, you should know as Paul is saying that, the Jews would not agree with Paul on this point. They're not, they're not thinking they're unworthy of eternal life. They don't see themselves as being unworthy of eternal life. In fact, they believe that as Jews, they have the first rights to eternal life from God. Not the Gentiles. So why does Paul tell them this? He's letting them know that whether they realize it or not, Their rejection of this gospel message is actually acting as judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. So what what Paul is saying is 
they're unworthy of eternal life because they reject the very means of receiving eternal life, which is the message of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas are preaching. See how he does that. And then Paul and Barnabas quote the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah 49. They, they refer back to the Old Testament. And, and, and this is brilliant of, of Paul to do this, to, to so easily have the word of God residing in his heart and in his mind that he can refer back to Isaiah 49. And it's not just scripture memory. It's not just I memorize scripture. It's not what it is. It's understanding what the prophecy means that he's referring to. He refers to Isaiah 49 because it talks about the light of the gospel going to the Gentiles and that he would use Israel to do that. So Paul's not just quoting what he knows uh, in terms of just the words. He understands what it means. And it's brilliant of him to do that. And they see this. They see his command, if you will, of the scriptures. And they're respectful of it. Even though, even though they disagree, and they disagree vehemently. I mean, they, they're, they're serious in their disagreement. And then Luke tells us from here the response of the Gentiles. So let's look now at the response of the Gentiles. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this. So listen, the Gentiles are listening to what Paul is saying, right? The Jews are in this kind of exchange with, with Paul. But the Gentiles are listening. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. So how do the Gentiles respond to this news? Well, when they hear that the good news of Jesus Christ was meant for them too. When they hear Paul say that, and he refers back to prophecy, and, and they know Isaiah, and they hear I, uh, the prophet Isaiah, and, and this prophecy is actually saying that the, that the gospel went to the Jews, but the Jews were to bring it to the Gentiles, they begin to rejoice, and they glorify the word of the Lord. Do you see what's happening? They're thankful. They're so thankful for the word of God. Imagine this scene here. Imagine it. Take it in. The Gentiles are rejoicing and they're glorifying the word of the Lord. But why are they rejoicing? What are they rejoicing about? What was it that was so amazing about what Paul was saying that they would rejoice? Because they heard from these Jewish apostles that the gospel was meant for them too. And they are so overjoyed with that. Now, now what I want you to do is as you hear that, think how we take this for granted today. Because it's the same for us, isn't it? It's the same. But we take it for granted instead of rejoicing and glorifying the Lord that this, but just being thankful that this is for us too, we just take it for granted. It's not that big of a deal. We're neither moved nor impacted. 
sometimes by the incredible mercy and grace of God in making this gospel available to us, to you. Instead, we find any reason acceptable as a reason for missing the the gathering of the church or the uh, opportunities to grow in this salvation, in this faith. It's just become not that big of a deal. May we be moved by the way these Gentiles rejoiced just to be included. That's what they, you mean we're included too? This Jesus, this gospel, he's for us too? And they, and they rejoice over that? May we be moved by that. And may it be encouragement to us to not just take this for granted. Luke also tells us something here very specific about salvation. He tells us that those who were appointed to eternal life believed. And Luke here is referring to divine election. This is what he's referring to. He doesn't say it here, but that's basically what it is. God is sovereign in salvation too. Uh, No one comes to faith in Christ apart from God sovereignly drawing them to himself. And that's what he's acknowledging here. And uh, that does not mean, however, as we have talked about in our church, and I've preached on this before, that does not mean humans bear no responsibility. They do. Each person, each of us are responsible before God for how we have responded to the offer of the gospel through Jesus Christ, which we've celebrated here at the table. And doctrinal matters like this sometimes are hard for us to understand because there's tension. There's one part pulling this way and another pulling this way. And it makes it difficult for us. But that does not mean that we should reject what the scripture says just because we have a hard time explaining it or understanding it. The reality is what Luke is saying here. And again, he doesn't have to say it. He doesn't even have to mention this. He just does because he wants it to be known. The reality is that those who got appointed to eternal life believed the, the gospel message that Paul was preaching. And the same is true for us today. But Paul, if you notice, was not concerned with trying to determine who God had appointed and who was not. He wasn't looking to determine that. He was simply doing what God called him to do, which is to declare the gospel. And the same is true for us. We shouldn't walk around going, you know, are you appointed or are you appointed? Are you, I don't know. You don't look appointed actually to me. And they're like, well, you don't look appointed to me. But the point is preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel, make it known and let God do what he does. We are witnesses of the gospel. That's what we are. That's why this whole series has been titled Witnesses. It's entitled Witnesses to to help us understand our role, what it is that we do. God is the one that saves, not us. 
We are witnesses. When I think of my role in, the, in this church as uh, uh, one of your pastors and the primary teacher up here the most on Sundays, I look at that role as being one that proclaim the gospel, proclaim the truth, make it known. That's what you're here to do for the people that God has brought. Love them, pray for them, shepherd them. But in the end, God forbid that I ever think that I am the means of your salvation. I need to point you to Jesus. I need to point you to the word of God and trust that God will do what only God can do. We make Christ known. It's the spirit of God that regenerates the heart. Only God saves. And praise God for that. God forbid it would be dependent on me or you. And then in verse 49, Luke tells us that the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. And again, that's just more evidence that God is the one doing this work. Because he's he's taking it. The spirit of God is taking it. The word of the Lord is spreading throughout the whole region. The gospel is spreading in spite of these leaders trying to stop it. And then Luke tells us what happens next. They don't stop. They keep going. The Jewish leaders now stir up persecution. They stir up persecution. Verse 50. But the Jews then, I guess they're seeing what's going on. They incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Got them out of there. Luke tells us that the dissension that was stirred up in verse 45, it's not enough. So the Jewish leaders, what they're doing here is they're instigating others to join their cause. And so what they do is they recruit the women of the city that have high standing and the leading men of the city who have high standing and they join, they get them to, to join in on the persecution of these apostles. They win them over to their side to get them to oppose Paul and Barnabas, even though they themselves may not even have any problem with them. But they win them over. And as I was reading this and preparing and thinking about it, I'm like, my goodness, do we see that today? Do we not? You know, it's not just that people oppose us. It's not enough to just be opposed uh, uh, to the ways of truth, to the ways of God. No, those that do, what are they doing? They're stirring up and seeking to get others to join in on that opposition against what God is doing. So nothing new under the sun. We see the same thing. And so Luke tells us that these influential leaders actually drove Paul and Barnabas from their region, from their district, from the areas of their control, which tells you that these were most likely government officials. They had a power. They had the ability to actually say, you got to get out of here now. So they drew them in. And again, there's so many parallels to what we see happening in our world today. Against the ways of God even at the government levels of what God is seeking to do, his truth, his ways being, being pushed and out. 
And we see that right here. And then Luke continues to tell us what's going on. And he tells us that Paul and Barnabas leave, but the believers are at peace. They leave, but the believers are at peace. So, so uh, Luke tells us that Paul and Barnabas, they, go, they, they leave that area and then they go to Iconium. And the disciples, the, the, the reference there to disciples are those who believed the message of the gospel that Paul and Barnabas were preaching. Those who believed, they were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? I mean, this is not necessarily a good situation, is it? When the two, you know, super apostles, Paul and Barnabas, are preaching, they're getting, they're causing all this dissension, right? They're, you have these leaders contradicting them. Then you have these same Jewish leaders getting government officials of high standing to also join them in their cause against them. They're persecuting them. They drive them out of the region to the point that they can't even come back. And what is the response of the church? It's not even like this big prayer request or let's get, you know, get together. It, it's they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's amazing because what, they're, what it's telling us is we can't always uh, understand what God is doing simply by our expected results. The reality is God was at work. He was at work through this. Even though they were being opposed. And actually what you're going to see as we continue on is that them going to Iconium is just another opportunity for gospel witness. It's just in a different place now. And so this is an incredible thing. Verse 51 says, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And that shaking off of the dust of that city, that really is like a symbol of God's judgment on those who rejected them, rejected their message and rejected their God. They, they kind of stand outside the city, you know, they brush off the, the dust and the dirt uh, from their sandals and they're like, okay, we've, we've, we've done what we needed to do here. We've set our peace. We've made Christ known the blood of these people. They're not on us. Shake off the dust. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've done what happens here is, is now you're in the hands of God. And the disciples were filled again with joy and with the Holy Spirit in an amazing way. So what I w- would like to do now is draw some, some application from this text. And like I said, we'll come back to chapter 14 Uh, sometime later, but I want to give you three responses for you to consider and think about that come right out of this text today. And the first one is this, beware of jealousy. It will blind you to what God is doing. Now it'll do more than just that. But one of the clear things we see here is that it blinded the people from seeing what God is doing. The Jewish leaders were so consumed with jealousy that it actually blinded them to the reality that God was the one drawing all of these people to hear Paul and Barnabas. They were blinded to that. 
Why? Because they were consumed with their own feelings, their own jealousy. And the same is true of us. We can allow our own jealousy of others to actually blind us from seeing what God is actually doing. And that's what happened here. And I just want to ask you, is there jealousy in your heart? And if so, admit it. Admit it before God and confess it. And do not allow the seeds of jealousy to reside in your heart. It will consume you and it will spread throughout your heart like an infection. It needs to be removed. We like to rationalize jealousy. And a lot of times what we'll do is we'll blame the person we're jealous of. And we convince ourselves that they are the problem. And I will add to that and say that actually it is Satan that is helping to convince us that they're the problem. When the problem of jealousy is in our hearts. That was what the problem was with these Jewish leaders. They had a heart problem that needed to be addressed. And and the scripture is telling us otherwise. That that the jealousy isn't the issue with the person we're jealous of. The issue is what's going on here. And so if that's the case for you, admit it. Ask the Spirit of God to even reveal it, confess it. Ask the Lord to forgive you and to heal you and to move on from that. Second, we need to respond to gospel opposition with truth and boldness. And we see that here in this text. We've seen it numerous times in the book of Acts. Paul was getting reviled. Think about that. His character was being falsely accused. And he didn't respond with fear. He didn't respond with worry. He responded with truth. And he told these people, I mean, just think about it. They're, they're, they're going after his character. They're heaping abuse on him, as the NIV translators say. And he told them, listen, the gospel actually went to you first. But you rejected it. That's why we're going to the Gentiles. He's telling them the truth. But he also responded with boldness. And Luke, again, makes that clear. It's clear that we are living today in a post-truth society. I've talked to you about that before. There's just a, a despising of truth in our world today, even if, even if it's right in front of you. There's an embracing of narrative and a a complete blinding to what is actually truth. And there's a mocking of God's ways in our world and in our society today. So what are Christ followers to do? What are we to do? Are we to fear? Are we to cower? I think we need to respond with truth and boldness. With wisdom, yes. With wisdom, yes. With humility, yes but with courage and boldness. Examples of that are we do stand for the life of the unborn. And if you're afraid to say that, that's showing you what's happening around you because that message is not accepted in so many places. But that's what we stand for. We rejoice as the church in God's design for marriage. 
between one man and one woman. Not because of anything happening culturally, but because this is God's good design. We stand for it. We rejoice in God's creation of humanity according to the scripture as male and female. We rejoice in God as the creator of all things, as the Genesis record indicates. Not, not some made-up blow-up in the, in the sky where things just appeared and as if God doesn't deserve the glory for his handiwork that he shows us. Our God and his ways, his designs today are being mocked. They're being ridiculed. And we need to stand for what is true with wisdom, humility, grace, but with courage, boldness, and truth. May we do that just as these apostles did. Third, we need to realize that there are always multiple responses to our gospel witness. We need to realize that there are always multiple responses to our gospel witness. When you have a conversation with someone, you're talking to friends, you're talking to coworkers, you're talking to clients, whatever it might be, you're going to have different responses. Some people believed the message that Paul preached. Others hated it. They hated him for it. And that's just how it is. The same thing happened with Jesus, right? Some accepted Jesus. Some accepted his message. Some rejected Jesus, rejected his message. It is the same with us. We need to re- remember and we need to realize that the same gospel message that we proclaim, it may be accepted and received by some and it may be rejected and opposed by others. There will always be these opposite responses to our witness. But here's the key. Do not allow your witness to be determined by how people respond. Don't, don't let that happen. Do not allow your witness to be determined by how people respond because then what you become is a very pragmatic gospel witness. You, you, you change it depending on what is happening around you. Paul's message was truth with boldness. It did not matter. It didn't matter how the people responded. His message remained truthful remained bold. And it's the same with us. We shouldn't water down the gospel message just because some reject it. But neither should we be, should we be obnoxious about it just because some people like that. We're not, we're not trying to be either. We're trying to be faithful and courageous and bold. Again, our goal is to be faithful and true And how the people respond, we leave that in the Lord's hands, right? Like we just just want to do what it is that the Lord tells us to do. You want to speak in the way the Lord wants you to speak. When God gives you an opportunity, you want the words to come out of your mouth in the way that he wants them to come out. And then let him handle the results. But you may have it come out exactly as he wants it to, and they may reject you. And they may reject your message. And others may not. And that's the reality of of what we've been called to. 
how people respond is in the Lord's hands. He appoints to eternal life, not us. Our mission is to be faithful gospel witnesses of his word as it is written, as it is revealed. This isn't given to us so that we can change it however we like. It's given to us to proclaim as revealed, as written. And so may the Lord help all of us to do just that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the invitation of the gospel to all of us. As we read of the Gentiles rejoicing that they were included, Lord, may that, may that gratefulness, may that thankfulness be in our hearts as well. We're so thankful that you have invited us into your family, that you've extended the offer of the gospel to us. May we start there with that gratitude and thankfulness and joy. And then, Lord, as you give us opportunity, may we be faithful witnesses, proclaiming truth with boldness and courage. But help us to have a realization that some may reject it, may reject us, they may reject our message, they may even ridicule us. May we respond to that with grace, but may we also respond with that truth and boldness and recognize that others are going to receive it. And all of these things, how that response happens is in your hands. So let us, give us the faith to trust you to do what you do and also the faith to be obedient in the things that we need to do. Help us, Lord. Help our church to be the witness you've called us to be in the back mountain and in the Wyoming Valley. And Lord, as that witness of your truth begins to grade even more against the direction of, the, of society and the culture, may we not change the message. Help us to be faithful to that no matter what. We give you the praise and the glory and we thank you, God, for your salvation for us. In Jesus' name, amen.